great scripture. Am I right? <laughs> um, well, I, I'm going to be truthful with you here that I had a lot more words to say this morning, but something that the Holy Spirit has been working on me in my life is letting me know when to just shut my mouth. <laughs> and so this morning is one of those times I'm just going to read this and let the word of God speak for itself. This is from Colossians chapter one, starting at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firmed, firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's sing about that. I hear the Savior say, Watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid all. Oh, to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white. 
one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Jesus
let's pray this prayer together. The words will be on the screen. Set us free, O oh God, from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, for the past month or so, I've not been able to be in service during um, first service because I've been up with our kids. And um, this morning, Kendra and Heather are up teaching and um, worshiping with the kids. And I just really appreciate the chance to come and sit in service with you. Um, they also were the first to volunteer as tribute in that opposite day is our theme for this month for the whole month. It will be opposite day upstairs and we do appreciate your prayers and your sympathy because oh, I feel like I wanna tell all the parents in the room like I'm sorry, but also like you're welcome. Because sometimes let's be honest, opposite day is the worst. The kids come up and they're like, it's opposite day. And you're like, okay. And they're like, okay, so um, I'm gonna have ice cream for dinner and you're like no you're not and they're like well but yes I am because it's opposite day and so then you start to like play along with this and you're like okay so you're gonna have ice cream for dinner and they're like oh thanks and you're like no no, no wait it's opposite day and you end up in this this cycle where at some point one of the kids will just be like I don't want to play anymore I'm done this is fine <laughs> but also like you're welcome because if you have kids that come home from church any Sunday this month and they want to play this game of opposite day, I hope that this creates a lot of opportunities for you to understand, hey, why would we spend a whole month talking about this, this idea of, of opposite day? And that that encourages a lot of discussions because following Jesus is opposite of about everything that our world would say is valuable and is successful. And so Jesus calls us to this life that looks so very different from most of what we see in our world today. So I hope that as your kids are, are playing this game of opposite day with you this month, that you keep leading them back to what, what is opposite? What is opposite about being a Christian? What is, what feels so upside down and inside out about that? And as maybe you go back and forth and they just say, okay, I'm done, I'm done. I don't wanna play opposite game, the opposite game anymore. We have a lot of situations in our lives where we willingly will submit ourselves to rules, to instructions, to discipline, to correction. If you play any sort of sport, I'm sorry, you can't tell me that the quickest way to get a soccer ball into the goal isn't for me to pick it up, walk it over, and put it in the goal. Like there are these rules, these things that we kind of submit ourselves to. We say, hey, this doesn't seem like the most logical way to do this, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to play along. Basketball, what is this like? I, I, if, I, if I pick it with both hands, I can't dribble any, like I don't even understand all the rules, but I'm not gonna accidentally find myself on a basketball team. I'm not gonna accidentally find myself playing soccer. Doing those things come with the choices and the willingness to say, hey, I wanna learn how to do this, teach me how to be good at this. I wanna learn from people who are really good and I want to practice this day in and day out. I'm not gonna accidentally become good at playing a sport without spending a lot of time 
submitting myself to the instruction, the correction, the discipline, hello, penalties. Like we, we're okay with that in so many situations and in so many parts of our lives. But yet sometimes we come up against this, well, that doesn't make any sense to me and I don't wanna do it that way anymore. When God is asking us to do something or when he's leading, we read our Bible and we say, oh, I don't like how that says that. I don't wanna play anymore. So I'm gonna read a couple of scriptures for you today because our, um, our big idea for the kids for today kind of kicking off this month and is that following Jesus is the opposite of following ourselves. And if that doesn't just kind of like get you right in the stomach, following Jesus is the opposite of following ourselves. When Jesus was calling his first disciples in Luke, um, he goes and he's talking with Simon Peter and he, he tells Simon, hey, put your, put your nets out. And Simon Peter looks at him, he's like, we've been fishing all night. Fishermen would fish at night. One, the fish are higher in the water because it's cooler. And two, fish aren't blind. So during the day, they can see the nets. So there was some reasons why it makes sense to fish at night. And Peter's like, we've been out. We've been out all night. We caught nothing. And Jesus tells him, hey, put it in the deep water. Let down the nets for the catch. And Simon answers him. And he says, because you say so. I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I'm going to submit what makes the most sense to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up all of the things that I think I know about fishing because you said so. And whether Peter understood it or not, at this point, he is talking to the living word of God. The same word that spoke our world into creation, into existence, that same word is telling him, hey, if you put your net in the, in the water right now, there's fish there for you. So Peter is going, I'm going to give up everything that I think I know about fishing. And because you said so, I'm putting this in, I'm putting this in the water. And we know that like scripture interprets scripture and it all comes together in that it is the word of God all the way through. And so if you'll let me one more, one more scripture this morning, I'm going to take you to Isaiah 55, where this is God talking about himself. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So when we think about following Jesus being the opposite of following ourselves, following Jesus means it's the opposite of living a life that screams, I'm in charge, what I think and feel, that is what matters the most. Following Jesus is the opposite of living a life that, where it only matters if I get what I want and as soon as I don't, I'm done with this. Following Jesus is submitting every day, every moment that there is a God who is able to understand and comprehend and know things that even at my smartest of moments, I can't even begin to scratch the surface of. So as Jesus calls us, and he calls us, it's a choice. You're not going to accidentally find that you're following Jesus. He lays it out there pretty quick. Joshua is telling the people, choose this day. Who are you going to serve? We won't accidentally find ourselves being disciples. But when we are willing to give up the, the idolatry of following ourselves, the idolatry of setting ourselves up as the ultimate and submitting to him, he says, blessed are you because you'll inherit the earth. When you hunger and search for righteousness, not for fame, not for glory, hunger and search for righteousness. 
And I apologize a little if I'm getting a little fiery, but like I've got kids and there are so many lies that are coming from my kids. My kids hear time after time, follow your heart, do what feels right. And I am really concerned for my children. I want them to have the self-consciousness to know that my heart is only worth following if I have submitted my heart to following Jesus. So we talked a couple times in our songs about like, teach my heart like to follow you. So if I'm going to follow my heart, I better know for certain that my heart is submitted. So in, in the fun of opposite day, Pastor Paul is now not going to come and teach some more. Just kidding. I <laughs> tricked you. Tricked you, Mara. It's me. I am the opposite of Paul. The exact opposite. He's old. I'm young. He's more fit than me. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I wish I was Paul because he's on vacation, right? And then wouldn't, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm glad I'm here. Hey, uh, can we? I, I don't know how to preach with this thing, so. Uh, bear with me. If I knock something over, somebody come help me, all right? All right. Um, I want to start out, we're going to start out a little bit different. Uh, maybe how I would start one of my, uh, my youth lessons. Is that okay? Um, so we're going to start by playing a little bit of a game. We're going to play Name That Tune, all right? You guys remember that uh, TV, that, that game show a long time ago? We're going to play Name That Tune. Uh, so DJ Jesse in the back has, uh, has some tunes that he's going to play. He's going to play them, and I just, just shout it out, all right? If you know artist, if you know song name, whatever, just shout it out, all right? I think we're going to do okay here. Jesse, go ahead. What's that? Nope, not Watermelon Crawl. Every Friday night, there's a steady... Down on the farm, yes, Dave. I didn't know that you were an old country fan. I love it. Down on the Farm by Tim McGraw. Okay, that's great. Man, I thought we would have had more country fans in here than that. Come on, guys. Clint, you knew that, didn't you? You just didn't say it? Clint? Come on, I know you knew that. Yeah, that's right. All right, here we go. Next one. We shall That was the name of the, 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 yeah, good job, Debbie. It's We Shall Overcome. That was a tricky one. We Shall Overcome. Do you know who was singing that? Anybody? Pete Seeger, anyone? No? All right, cool. Well done, guys. All right, next. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, we get some of these. Sam Cooke? Sam Cooke, yes, Debbie. Know the name of the song? The change is going to come. Right? Oh, my gosh, you guys are not very cultured. Come on. The change is going to come by Sam Cooke. Okay, I think, uh, I think maybe these next ones you'll get. All right, go ahead. That's a good guess. It's not that one. I, I Come on, Debbie, don't Love be but a song to sing Fears we will die I'm just going to let this one play because eventually you're going to know this one. You can make the mountains what? ring 
That's it, yeah. You know the name of it? Yeah. Smile at your brother, yeah. It's called Get Together, right? Get Together, the Young Bloods. Yeah. Man, do you guys like only listen to what? What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not holy. I, I listen to other. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, here we go. Surely we know, we're going to know this one too, right? Yes, Imagine by John Lennon. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, last one. Here we go. I hear people talking bad about the way we have to live. What is it? In this country. Nope. Say it's that it's the right guy. Earl Haggard. Other song. It's kind of like Oki, the same theme as Oki from Muskogee. And I don't mind him switching sides and standing up things. They what? believe in when it's running down my Yes, the fight inside of me. Thank you, Andy, for coming through there. All right. Well, I thought that you guys would have known more than that, but apparently I don't know. I don't have a real good feel of the culture here because <laughs> I thought that maybe you would you would know some of those. Uh, but, but these songs, all these songs that I chose, uh, believe it or not, they have something in common. And, uh, and they... they these songs have kind of become uh, what I would maybe call anthem songs, songs that uh, united a group of people and kind of gave them an identity, right? It kind of became an anthem cry, a rallying cry for a group of people in a particular movement. Now, Down on the Farm wasn't necessarily a people group. That was just me. Uh, like, I grew up uh, going to my great-grandparents' farm all the time, and then all of my high school friends were farmers, and so we just hung out on the farm all the time. So that was kind of my anthem song there. It wasn't really a movement. It was just me. But then we moved on and we, 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 uh, we listened to We Shall Overcome. The words, we shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. This evolved from an early 1900s hymn and kind of became a rallying cry or an anthem for the entire civil rights movement. Likewise, and a change is going to come. Sam Cooke laments that I go to the movie and I go downtown. Somebody keep telling me, don't hang around. But then he goes on to declare a hope filled. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change is going to come. Once again, this anthem became a rallying cry that gave identity to an entire movement. And then came songs that united the hippie and anti-war movement. Lyrics like young bloods, come on people now, smile on your brother. Everybody get together, try to love one another right now. And John Lennon's, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. These poems gave identity to an entire movement based on love and peace and anti-war. And then you had those on the opposite side of that movement, creating their own kind of movement and rallying cry and anthems. People like Merle Haggard, who wrote Okie from Muskogee as a kind of a go against the, the grain of the anti-war movement, and then songs like 
If you don't love it, leave it. Let the song that I'm singing be a warning. When you're running down our country, man, you're walking on the fighting side of me. These songs are all poetry that became an anthem for a group of people. A rallying cry. At their core, these songs gave people an identity. And that's the beauty of poetry, right? It transcends the word and it gives identity. It reminds you of who you are. And throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus giving us words that have become an anthem for us. Words that give us an identity. Jesus was intentionally creating a movement and he gave the gift of words to unite people around this particular movement. And so for the past several weeks, we've been working through this series called Identity Crisis. And we've been focusing on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and, and how we can find our true identity as followers in Christ in the words that Jesus gave us. And so this morning, I want to zero in on one particular section of this. A poem, if you will, that I believe Jesus gave to his disciples and in turn gives to us to help shape us, to remind us of our identity, to give his people an anthem that would help create this movement and this kingdom. So let's dive in. It's right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives this anthem. He's just finished teaching the disciples how not to pray. He's reminded them that they are not a people centered on self-glorification. And so he said, when you pray, don't do things that draw attention to yourself. Don't go out on the streets and, and pray these big, fancy prayers using fancy words. You need not pray with these fancy words. You need not do these Broadway-worthy recitations in your prayer. He teaches them how not to pray, and then he teaches them how to pray. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. It says this, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And what I love about this teaching is that I don't think that these are some just random words that Jesus thought up on the spot in order to teach his disciples how to pray. I think what Jesus is doing is he's giving his disciples the prayer, the model of prayer that he himself uses. You know those times in scripture where it says that he removed himself from the crowd to connect with his father, to pray to his father. I think this is the prayer, or at least the model of prayer that he uses in those times. And he shares this gift with his disciples. This was a prayer that Jesus used that centered his identity. And he shared it as a reminder to the disciples of their identity. And we get the privilege of receiving that gift as well as a prayer, as a poem that gives us our identity, that reminds us of who we are. 
And what I love is that as you take a close look at this prayer that Jesus gives, it truly sums up the entire gospel. In fact, there are other parts of the gospel where Jesus seems to sum up the gospel this way. Love God and love others. Right, Dave? Love God, love others. Dave always says that. Love God, love others. Jesus seems to sum up the gospel in that way. Love God, love others. In this prayer, the Lord's Prayer seems to follow that same model. It starts with a focus on God and worshiping God and recognizing God for who he is, and then it moves on to a focus of us or others, if you will. Jesus gives this gift of a poem or prayer that allows his disciples to find and remember their identity, to give them a place within his movement and his kingdom. And this prayer models the same thing that Jesus teaches throughout his entire ministry. Love God, love others. So let's quickly just break these words down in the Lord's Prayer. He starts off by saying, our Father in heaven. Now notice when Jesus says this, it's not my Father. He doesn't say my Father because this isn't just Jesus' prayer, but it's our prayer that Jesus invites us to. Our Father becomes this reminder and declaration of our identity, that we are children of God. It's one thing for Jesus to pray this prayer, right? It's one thing for Jesus to say our Father, because of course Jesus is the Son of God. It's another thing for us to say that prayer. When Jesus says our Father, it's an invitation for all of us to find our identity in being beloved children of God. And then he goes on, to say, hallowed be your name. And you're like, that's a weird word, right? Hallowed, nobody uses that, right? Except for Halloween, right? Halloween be your name. That's weird. I don't know why I said that. It wasn't in my notes. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. What, is, like, what does that mean? This is a declaration of who God is. It's a declaration. It's a reminder for us to, to declare who God is, to declare that God is set apart That God is not like us, that God is holy, that God is distinct, that God is to be revered. In the midst of this movement, it reminds us of who God is. But it also reminds us to recognize those times and those areas in our lives where we have failed to acknowledge God as those things. And it helps us recenter our lives on those truths. Hallowed be your name assigning reverence and holiness and distinctness to God and reminding us of that truth. Then he says, your kingdom come. Again, this is a declaration of who we are, a declaration that we believe that the kingdom of God is here and now, that it was ushered in through Jesus and that we get to be a part of that kingdom. But it's also a recognition that the kingdom has not yet permeated every part of God's creation. It doesn't take long of looking around us to recognize that God's kingdom is not yet fully realized. So this prayer creates for us a rallying cry and it reminds us to constantly invite God's kingdom and also to actively work towards God's kingdom being here on earth. And then we come to what I believe is the central point of this prayer. And oddly enough, 
it happens to reflect quite well what Mara was talking about this morning, just, just before me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if love God and love others is central to the gospel of Jesus, this is right there too. Your will be done. It's the epitome of God's kingdom. It's the way that God's kingdom operates. It's the way that we actively participate in God's kingdom to say, not my will, but your will. It's the model that Jesus showed us through his entire life. It's exactly what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. And when we allow this to happen, when we pray that prayer, but when they're not just words, but when we actively seek to surrender our will to God's will, that's when God's kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have these, these words that remind us about loving God and shape our identity and, and, and who God is and, and how we love and revere and honor God. And then we shift to more of, of us, of others. And he says, give us today our daily bread. And I, and, I, and I can't help but think that Jesus was so intentional about the words that he chose to pray in this prayer. Again, modeled after the prayers that he offered to God himself. He's reminding us that we are a people who are completely reliant on God for all that we need in life. And no doubt that this idea and these words that Jesus prayed give us today our daily bread. No doubt that those words would have reminded people of the memories and the stories that they heard of the Israelites who were wandering. And, and every day manna came from heaven and it was just enough for that day. They relied on God for that day's food. This prayer for daily bread, it keeps us focused. Because it's not a prayer for abundance. It's not a prayer for a stockpile of food. It's a prayer for today's bread, and so it keeps us focused. It keeps us from falling into a hoarding mindset and an attitude of never being content. But what I love about these words is that it also has implications for, for the world, the way that we interact with our world. When we seek and ask for daily bread for us, it's not just me. It's for all people. And I love that our church has kind of, uh, kind of sur surrounded like, ministries that, that are exactly this. Right? The, single, the single, moms, single parent meal ministry and the blessings in a backpack where we have identified that there are people in our world who who struggle with this idea of, our daily, of their daily bread. And so what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God is for us to make sure that other people have what they need, right? And so we do things like blessings in a backpack and the single parent meal ministry to make sure that everyone has this daily bread. And then Jesus goes and does something that no one really likes, right? He reminds us about forgiveness, <laughs> He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And that's not always an easy thing. But once again, this is a prayer that reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of our identity. So Jesus reminds us that we are people of forgiveness. This is what Jesus showed us on the cross he entered into a system of tit for tat, a system of getting even, and a system of an eye for an eye and revenge 
A system that creates a vicious cycle and never ends. And he broke the system by going to the cross. By offering forgiveness rather than self-defense and revenge. He enacted a kingdom that is centered on forgiveness. And in this prayer of identity, Jesus reminds us that we are not only a people who are forgiven, but also a people who forgive. This life of forgiveness is another way that the kingdom, that God's will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. And he wraps up with this interesting phrase. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus invites us to seek and to ask God to steer us clear of temptation. But the truth is, is that's not really a promise, that we are steered clear of temptation, that we would never face temptation. This is more of a petition of asking God that he would not lead us into there. But we see that Jesus himself was led into temptation. So I think the key point here is the next phrase of that. So knowing that at some point we will face temptation, that temptation will indeed come, Jesus reminds us that we are a people who rely only on God to deliver us, us both individually and us communally. God delivers us from evil. God is the only one who can deliver us from evil. And so Jesus gives this prayer, this prayer that helps shape an identity, that helps remind a people of who they are. And so I hope that you begin to see the significance of this prayer, this poem of identity that Jesus gives his followers. It's obviously a significant prayer, right? Given the fact that this prayer has been passed down from generation to generation, it's been recited in countless numbers of, of church services, But I don't think that Jesus just wanted this to be a set of words that we memorized and we recite once a week. I truly believe that Jesus was giving us, reminding us of who we are. He was giving us an identity and he was reminding us of that identity. He was giving us an anthem or a rallying cry to surround ourselves, to to center ourselves on this kingdom. This prayer sums up who we are as followers of Christ. It's almost like a creed. It reminds me in my house, uh, we have a little uh, anthem, if you will. We say, and we remind our kids this, we say we're huffs, right? So we're huffs, and because we're huffs, it means we're kind, and we're encouraging, and we choose love whether it's hard or easy. And that's become our, our kind of rallying cry as huffs. And so before I drop the kids off at school in the morning, I remind them of that. And, and we, we say different things in different ways to remind them of what it means to be a huff. That we're kind and we're encouraging and we choose love. It's this rallying cry. It reminds them of who they are. This prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is a reminder of who we are. It's a reminder that we are children of God. That God is holy and to be revered. That we are a part of a kingdom, a movement that was initiated by Jesus. And that central to our lives in this kingdom is this phrase, not my will, your will. 
that we are totally reliant on God for all that we need. And that we operate in a system of forgiveness. That we are totally reliant on God for deliverance from evil. That is who we are. We're going to respond this morning. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer in just a little bit. But before we do that, we're going to do, well, we're, going to, we're going to take communion. So Amy's going to come and, and she's going to play a little bit as we, as we participate in communion. But as I, as I was thinking about this and we we're scheduled to do communion, I thought, man, what a great way to wrap this up. Because I believe that what we are saying and what we are participating in and when we take communion perfectly parallels what we see in the Lord's Prayer. As Jesus gives us an identity in the Lord's Prayer, when we participate in communion as the body of Christ, we are saying yes to that way of life. Like we are saying that we are actively participating in this identity, in this anthem, in this kingdom, in this movement that that Jesus has set up. When we participate in communion, when we eat the bread and drink the juice, we are saying yes to that way of life thinking about what Jesus has done for us, but we're also thinking about Jesus's presence in our lives here and now, and we are saying yes to this way of life. So we're going to respond by participating in the Eucharist. We practice an open table here, which just means that you don't have to be a member here in order to participate in communion. We just believe that if you are seeking Jesus, then this table is for you. So in just a minute, we're going to dismiss from the back and then you'll receive your elements and return to your seat. And I'll give you some instructions. And then again, we will end by saying the Lord's Prayer. Would you come from the back? All right, I'm going to switch the order here. I, uh, I, would, I pulled up the, uh, the First Corinthians scripture to, to read like we typically do uh, for communion. But then I thought, let's, let's recite the Lord's Prayer together first. And then we'll, uh, we'll take the elements as a reminder again that we are choosing to participate in this way of life that we are going to recite together. So I think it should be on the screen there if you will, uh, if you will recite this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. body of our Lord Jesus Christ take and eat blood shed for us to enact this system of forgiveness take and drink God thank you for uh, thank you for the gift of this prayer that Jesus gave to us that reminds us of who we are. And as we have participated in communion, the, the body and the blood, God, we, we declare that we are a part of this kingdom. We are saying yes to this way of life. And so may our lives, as we leave this place, show and reflect that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.